Hi, I'll, I'll be doing the scripture. It's Exodus 12, verse 1 through 11. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This is the month for the first month of your month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man should take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for one whole lamb, they must share it with their nearest neighbor. Having taken into account the number of people there are, you may determine the amount of lamb needed in ordinance for the number of people eating it. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. You will take them from sheep or goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of Israel shall come and slaughter them at twilight. They are to take some of the blood of them and put them on the side and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat it, the meat, roasted over a fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roasted over a fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it out until morning. If someone left until morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it with your cloak tucked in your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. These words have almost a foreign ring to them. Uh, even when we see on movies uh, somebody ritually slaughtering a chicken, it kind of makes most of our skin crawl. I uh, know my son has a friend in Exeter named Joe the Butcher, and he really likes to go uh, watch Joe the Butcher work, uh, taking cows and turning them into food, and taking sheep and pigs and turning them into food. But most of us don't enjoy that much. Uh, we, if we eat meat at all, uh, prefer to see it cooked, not... Uh, well, anyway, I don't need to keep going with that. I know most of you probably, if you eat fish, don't enjoy having the whole head on the plate when it comes to you either. You know, We're just a little averse to all of this, removed from it, as it were, not the Israelites. They could gather with the nearest neighbor and determine if they were small clans or families, how much would be needed. But each of these families would be going and selecting a goat or a sheep, a year-old male. When we were in Jerusalem, we saw an Arab boy, two of them, leading a goat by his ears into the marketplace. There went lunch. We're just a bit removed from all of that. And so they did. They slaughtered this animal and they cooked it in the Bedouin style. How many of you know about the Bedouins? They are desert tent dwellers ranging from Saudi Arabia all the way over to Israel. Uh, traditionally, their tents are made of hides or skins. In the contemporary world, they're made of corrugated tin and other such things that they find. They're expert carpet weavers. And they have interesting and beautifully uh, scabbard curved knives that they use um, and make. They can be warriors, but they tend to be sheep herders. And they tend to be nomadic, completely mobile in where they go from place to place, though less so today. And the Bedouins cook these animals basically whole, as you read, legs, inner parts, etc., all kind of there. The idea was that there was something momentous about to occur. 
A deliverance was about to take place. And God's instructions were that that deliverance be not only anticipated, but that everybody be ready for it. You were going to eat dressed, cloak tucked in, staff at side, ready to move. The animal was going to be cooked over fire directly. It wasn't to be butchered and disassembled and parsed out and filleted. It was just to be cooked and eaten in haste. There would be no careful preparation of the meat with herbs. Those of you know how to barbecue. This would be eaten with bitter herbs, lettuces, endives, and other herbs. And the bread that would be prepared to go with the meal would not have time to raise. It would be unleavened. It would be a flatbread. It would cook quickly and be eaten as it was warm with the meat and with the herbs. And the family would be ready to go. And in the process of this preparation, when the lamb or the goat was slaughtered, the blood of the lamb or the goat would be placed on the lintel and the doorposts of the house. So that when the final and most terrifying plague God brought upon Egypt was to come, that is the murder or slaying of the firstborn in Egypt, those houses that had followed these instructions and eaten the Passover lamb or goat, those houses that had put the blood on the doorpost and lintel would be passed over. They would be spared. They would be delivered from a grief so horrible most of us can only imagine it. Everything about this feast speaks to the senses. From the slaughter of the animal to the pungent smell of the blood as you put it on the doorpost and lintel. From the bitter tastes of the herbs and the sweet tastes of the breads and meats to the visuals and the noises and the sounds it was a feast of common senses. And it was a feast that Jesus would engage indifferently because he would be the Passover lamb that all of us look to. Thank God we're not obligated from year to year to drag a goat in by its ears and cut its throat and paint our houses in its blood. Thank God. And so when we get to the New Testament and read about Jesus, the Passover lamb, he gathers with his disciples in an upper room and he does something to play on words that doesn't relate to common sense at all. He engages in an act of self-sacrifice. First he sacrifices any positional pride he might have had because those in waiting there, the disciples have forgotten to hire a goyim. They've forgotten to hire a servant for the Passover meal. And no one is available to wash feet. 
And so Jesus takes off his garments, puts a towel around his waist, and proceeds to wash the disciples' feet until, of course, he gets to Peter who has to argue about it. Some of you argue about it too. You wonder why it might be necessary or if it's necessary, why the feet? Just as Peter did. I got to thinking about this tradition, and I think I've mentioned this before, and no doubt all of you, well, many of you have had the same thought. The tradition that we have here is somewhat anachronistic. That is to say, it doesn't fit into the culture and time in which we live. And yet, we engage it because Jesus commanded us to, and we engage it because if we enter into the spirit of it, we understand what it means to be the servant of another. We understand what it means to humble ourselves in that moment. We understand what it means to put forth loving care as Jesus put forward in that moment. John 13, for those of you who aren't familiar. And as he gets up from that and puts back on his cloak and his outerwear and makes his way to the table, there are the feast elements. We read about specifically the breaking of bread and the pouring and drinking of wine. And the way in which Jesus helps the disciples understand his role as sacrificial lamb, as he says, this is my body broken for you and this is the new covenant in my blood. And as he teaches them through reframing a familiar event, the ultimate truth, that is that the sacrifice of animals never makes us clean. It is the gift of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so today is our day of common senses. Oh, I wish it were a richer feast. A thimble full of juice and a cracker that sticks in your throat is not always as sumptuous as I would like. And for those of you who like mutton, again, my apologies. None available. But it is a very rich feast, on the other hand, because we engage it as a community that believes together. We get to serve one another in the spirit of the Christ who served the disciples and in the spirit of the Christ who broke the bread and broke the juice. We get to recount with joy that sacrifice has ended and that grace is ours in Jesus Christ. And we get to go forward singing a song because he's placed it in our hearts. It's the music of our lives. So today, we engage these things. I want to encourage all of you to. It doesn't require perfection. It doesn't require that you do everything correctly in your life. It requires that you take on a spirit of humility. For your foot washing is a mini baptism, a cleansing. And your juice and your bread 
are the elements that help us remember the grace and the suffering of Jesus Christ. It's the gift he asks us to communally engage in really whenever we get together. So I'm going to invite you to separate at this point in the bulletin. You will see reminders about where uh, foot washing is for couples and families, where foot washing is for men and where it is for women. And we'll gather back in this sanctuary after that fact. Please at that time sit every other row so that the deacons can serve us the elements when the time comes. Thank you very much.